0: Welcome to the latest edition of the NPM podcast. Joining me on the program today is RJ Arsenal of FTI Consulting, the sponsor for today's program. RJ is the managing Director in the Power Renewables and Energy Transition practice. Um, he has represented multiple clients across the power supply chain, sponsor and lenders. Uh, welcome to the program today, RJ. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate you having me on. Great. Um, so, uh, we had a slightly different program in mind a couple weeks ago, but uh, nothing uh, but uh, news coming out um, as it concerns the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, and on February 13th, uh, the IRS released guidance on a few of the provisions, uh, including an expansion of Section 48C for Qualified Investments, Eligible qualifying Advanced Energy Projects. Uh, the, pro- the guidance uh, provides for at least two allocation rounds with a collective goal of allocating $10 billion of credit, of which $4 billion may be allocated to projects located in certain energy communities. Uh, for the first allocation uh, slated for a May 31st, 2023 start, uh, the IRS and the Department of Treasury anticipate allocating $4 billion of qualified advanced energy project credits um, with approximately $1.6 billion to be allocated to projects located in certain certain energy communities. Um, there is a July 31st, 2023 deadline for interest for round one. Um, so, RJ, if you can maybe um, give us your uh, collective observations about this guidance and uh, how it ties into some of the broader uh, concepts introduced in IRA 2022 over the summer.
1: Sure, happy to. So. You know, as you can well imagine, this is uh, this was a fairly important you know piece of of legislation that um, certainly that the, the industry has been kind of waiting for, and it really kind of you know served to outline not only the staging of the funding as as you mentioned, but also served to outline kind of what exactly will qualify as a you know qualify you know quote unquote qualified in advanced energy project and uh, what could be considered kind of an an energy community Um, and you know from from at least the industry's perspective that clarity is is, has been fairly important and you know that said like anything else the devil is kind of in the in the details Um, and so when we think about you know the most for at least power energy utility scale power and energy storage kind of development which are, are two of the most you know, significant buckets uh, for development that will likely take advantage of the legislation. The, you know, entering into thinking about how brownfield sites um, will qualify. Um, while there might be, you know, I've seen numbers as high as, you know, for EPA, I think, stated, you know, 450,000, you know, brownfield sites um the devil will be really in kind of what those sites look like and and how they can actually be repurposed for some of these larger scale projects so um and that's just on the on the power you know transmission or power infrastructure side things like uh you know EVs carbon capture you know and and you to know, zero to low carbon process heat systems. Obviously the legislation is a is a huge jumping off point for some of these technologies, which are struggling to you know compete on a levelized cost basis with utility scale and, and conventional you know generation or or assets. Um, what will be critically important is how these you know brownfield sites, as identified by the EPA, uh, overlay with respect to the, you know, attractive resources from a resource economics and market standpoint. And the intersection of kind of those two analyses will really kind of start to tease out where the most attractive projects can get built and whether uh, whether the tax incentives are enough to kind of push those projects um, into what I would call kind of an ec- economic territory relative to where they might be uneconomic at, at this exact juncture.
0: Great. Uh, thanks for that. Um, so, um, obviously, uh, before um, and during and after the IRA uh, passage in August, um, there was certainly a lot of movement from investors into um, building uh, renewable resources on uh, in energy communities or, or one of the stated goals. Um, we saw uh, Clean Capital acquire uh, BQ Energy um and we saw um the likes of ArcLight and Jira uh announce investments in the last few months um aimed at building uh poten- potentially renewable resources um in energy communities. The the latter two was more um pairing storage at you know combined cycle gas turbine sites or peaker sites. Um right. But in any case, um, just looking at uh, at a property level, if you could um, walk us through what are some of the advantages and disadvantages to building on um, brownfield sites such as these? Sure,
1: yeah, happy to. So you know, a lot of the advantages are are you know perhaps obvious, particularly for some of these you know repurposed uh, coal plant sites, and that is you know they already exist. There's already existing interconnection points. There are, generally speaking, you know, uh, situated close to both electric and and non-electric infrastructure, like you know, roads and and obviously transmission lines, large transmission lines. Um, so from that perspective, you know, they're kind of already ready for a utility scale project. Um, for certain projects, you know, what where the tricky part comes in is how those sites comport with. Uh, let's just say wind resource, solar resource, um, and then particularly with respect to storage, and you know what you're seeing on storage is is the the economic story with respect to energy storage is really fairly specific to a markets and and b locations within these markets. So you know it depends fairly heavily on uh, price volatility at a particular node, such that it can you know capture the spread between. The off peak period and the on peak period that it's injecting back into the power grid and the reality is is that you know some of the locations for some of these coal sites coal plant sites are less attractive from that perspective and that's why you're seeing you know typically you're seeing this the storage like just as you mentioned with respect to the arc light uh, arc light thesis you're seeing you know storage pair with either gas combined cycles um, peaking sites that are kind of generally typically speaking situated closer to load um, where you can take advantage of some of that price volatility and and capture some of that value from a from as I said from an off peak off peak on peak spread perspective. So it really from a disadvantage from a a disadvantage standpoint. Um, or advantage standpoint, it's really location, location, location. So, you know, if you're not in the proper location, irrespective of, at least from an energy storage standpoint, irrespective of whether you're next to a tie line or, you know, have the necessary electric and and, and non-electric infrastructure, it may be of no value when it comes to the economics. And, you know, to be clear, the economics still have to pencil, you know, tax incentive aside. Um, investors like our client aren't, aren't, you know, aren't doing uh, projects like that without a, a view towards obviously uh, required uh, level of return.
0: Great. Um, so I alluded to some of the uh, deals announced um, in the last uh, 12 to 13 months or so. Um, the IRA is uh, certainly a clear driver here, but um, just curious if you had any thoughts about what some of the other drivers might be.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So, I mean, to me, the most, the most significant, you know, particularly, I guess we, you know, we keep coming back to storage, but the most significant is, is A, the, you know, retirement of, of older peaking plants, um, and B, the know significant development with respect to intermittent resources whether that be on onshore wind or solar and then particularly offshore wind Um, and what's going to be required there is obviously some you know reliability resilient you know peaking uh, support and you know at least the view right now is that at least the you know peaking uh, the peak support asset of the future is certainly energy storage now I don't know that you know we're there today, but that's certainly the the thesis that 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 met most markets are kind of working under, in you know, call it 10, 15, 15 years, um, and so to do that, you know, this is hybrid assets and storage assets leveraging, you know, uh, locationally specific brownfield sites is is fairly important, and 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 incorporating not only the reliability aspect and and firming up some of those intermittent resources. But also the peak shaping. So the ability to kind of match match the load profile um, in an instantaneous instantaneous way as a as a dispatching peaking plant would is, is fairly critical. So it's really solving um locational, uh localized localized reliability issues. Um and also from a policy perspective, you know, we're seeing state level carve outs at the storage level as well, in addition to to these, you know, federal incentives um that's really starting to to cause those, those, the economics of storage to start to pencil out for some of the uh, private equity sponsors uh, and the like in the market right now. And that's where you're seeing some of these deals start to come together. And I would expect from a capital formation standpoint, you know, the, the momentum to kind of continue uh, in the near and midterm.
0: Um, as we alluded to earlier, the IRS did start to define energy community a little bit uh, within um, the forty-eight C expansion, um, as defined uh, on February thirteenth, um, just wanted to get your view on 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 some of those parameters and if that kind of works with what was generally assumed w- would be defined, or were there some differences there?
1: Yeah, I think in general it was it was um, fairly in line with any expectation um, in terms of how they how they were defined. I don't think there were any any real surprises. Again, you know, it's essentially a, a, a brownfield site. You know census census tracts where you know a coal mine closed, I think after '99 or a plant after 2009, Um, and then anywhere where kind of uh, called old energy, coal, oil, gas uh, employment, uh, and you know the combination of of previously high levels of employment in the kind of coal, oil, and gas sector, and coupled with high degrees of unemployment uh, in said kind of location or region, so. I don't think that is necessarily a surprise, and I think in each each of those buckets, and the third being the brownfield sites, obviously, in each of those buckets, we can kind of understand why they targeted them. Um, again, the devil will be in the details because uh, just because there are, you know, whatever it is, the 450,000 brownfield sites, many of those from an economic standpoint for some of the assets we're talking about, again, energy storage, community solar, utility scale, solar and wind and the like, um, the economics aren't going to pencil out because, you know, for a, again, for a coal mine, I'm just using a, as an illustrative example for a coal mine in the, you know, deep woods of of West Virginia, let's say, you know, that's not that's may not be a likely a likely location for solar, wind or energy storage. So, you know, um, identifying and narrowing in and kind of where where really the attractive locations are, you know, given given how energy communities are now being defined uh, will be fairly important. And then obviously, the you know, the, the ones that kind of, I think, were deemed to not qualify are, are fairly straightforward. Anything with a environmental liability tied to it, uh, you know, super fun sites, and then um, anything that's got a consent degree, an EPA consent degree kind of tied to it are obviously off limits. So I don't think any of that was, was a surprise.
0: Well, uh, RJ, you raised West Virginia, so I might as well go there um, <laughs> since, um, you know, obviously, uh, Senator Manchin came to a compromise and you've had to assume that, you know, a lot of his constituency was uh, very interested in the energy community uh, adder, given all the, the coal uh, industry that's down there. Um, what what in your view is some of the best reuses? Is it more just storage there too, or is there some better use of those um, properties?
1: Yeah, I, I, again, I would suspect in some of the more kind of remote areas and it's not to say that, that there aren't there aren't load pockets in West Virginia, but um it'll likely be other other kind of uses. Um mm-hmm. you know what those are is is you know whether and and to be clear there's obviously the coal mine specifically but there's also kind of industrial sure. industrial brownfield sites that can be repurposed for any any number of reasons or any number of ways or projects. Um, you know, energy efficiency so there's a whole list I think I think we have a tendency to focus on the utility scale and the energy storage pieces because those are the probably largest capital ticket items um, in terms of we, when we think about capital funding but um it will likely be other sources I think again the 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 three what I'll call the three main buckets we keep referencing are are likely better served in 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 load pockets and markets where they can kind of take advantage of of and capitalize on on positive kind of market fundamentals. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily prevalent if we're talking about West Virginia specifically, but you know, I,
0: I will admit I, I'm not a, an expert in the West Virginia electric grid either, but. Um, uh, no worries, Th- thanks for that. Um, so obviously um, we, we talked about other strategies. Uh, again, storage has again been telegraphed as a natural fit there, but. Um, are there any other energy transition strategies um, that you think may um, get explored here? Um, you know, I'm thinking more lines of like green hydrogen potentially, but um, sending any thoughts around other energy transition strategies that might work uh, for energy communities? Yeah, certainly.
1: I mean, green hydrogen is is definitely a, a big one. Um, you know, that's still in a fairly nascent stage. From a just industry perspective, um, you know the theory behind hydrogen hubs and, or I shouldn't say the theory, but um, what that infrastructure will look like and 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 where locationally that'll kind of what that what that network will look like across the U.S. is still obviously being kind of defined. But that certainly is a is a potentially attractive um, if we think about you know. How the hydrogen network might over might overlay with respect to these brownfield sites, the predominance of which I think are located typically in the Midwest and the Northeast. Um, I think green hydrogen certainly a a likely candidate. You know things like more niche niche opportunities like you know carbon sequestration. You know that's probably more on a going to going to be more useful on a on a, on a extremely kind of niche. Locational, look locationally specific. Uh, I don't know that we're going to see a massive amount of carbon sequestration across the u s, but the you know certainly green hydrogen and you know renewable fuels in general, uh, I could certainly see those being being repurposed or bronfield sites being repurposed for those for uh, those steps projects.
0: Great. And just to conclude, um... You know we've, we have still observed i mean because we see this at the project level about uh, new applications for natural gas plants um so it's still still a phenomenon well not a phenomenon but <laughs> it's still a trend that that uh, sure. greenfield for natural gas plants whether it be um, combined cycle or simple cycle but um are you guys um talking to the market about this at all and is it is it gonna take is is it going to take the form more of a hybrid model, where they do get paired with storage as as these things get built, or I mean, just any any kind of thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, sure. So I certainly think. Listen, I don't know that. Uh, certainly, it'll become it'll continue to be a, a a trend for the reasons we've kind of already stated. Yeah. Um, it's just too it's it's too complementary of a of a set of assets. So you already have the interconnection point. It's fairly easy to co-locate storage. And to the extent, you know, really, what storage has waited for is the market formation and and the revenue, um, the pricing to really to really pencil out, such that you know you can build assets into these markets and, and be fairly confident with respect to a return on it of your capital. Uh, it's you know it it hasn't been an issue certainly of of whether you could fit it on a site per se. Um, there's the cost of cost of building it, and, and and that certainly has had to come down, and subsidies have helped, but um, i don't expect you know traditional gas new build uh you know absent kind of the hybrid model to go away anytime soon we're still seeing a fairly sizable uh pipeline in you know places like pgm and and, and ercot um and certainly you know storage is not ready to fully support um fully support intermittent resource reliability uh you know broadly yet um, you know, maybe we'll be there in, you know, 10, 20 years time. So I certainly still see a kind of gas plants, new gas, new efficient, clean gas plants and, and peaking sites playing a, a fairly pivotal role. Um, but I do think you're gonna continue to see as the storage story and as, as storage economics start to pencil out, you're gonna see more and more kind of hybrid projects in um in locations that that are favorable for for, as I said, that spread volatility. Um popping up. So that, that's really isn't going away anytime soon.
0: Great. Thanks for that. Um, largely that's all the time we have. Um, thanks for joining today's program sponsored by FTI consulting. Um, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and, uh, please tune in next time. Uh, this has been uh, John Burke, managing editor of NPM, uh, Burke out.